Hi there gang and welcome to episode 6 of the Race Sim Central podcast where simmers of Christmas sit in a room of joy and talk turkey. I'm John Denton and today with me I have Simon Croft and RSC Big Chief Tim Wheatley. How are you doing Tim? I'm alright thanks, how about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, grinding on as ever. Uh, Simon, how are you looking forward to the Christmas season? I'm very much looking forward to not being at work for a bit, and I think my brain decided it was on holiday quite a few weeks ago, so I'm just kind of dragging my feet through meetings and um, work duties. But yeah, my eyes are very much firmly set on a week or two from now. And have you been doing any simming lately? I haven't. I haven't. Life's been hectic for various reasons. But, um, Christmas sim plans? The, the, the Christmas plan includes quite a lot of computer gaming, and I think some simming definitely needs to be on that list too. Okay, I think we need to get on the track, don't we? Definitely. Tim, how about you? You got any Christmas simming plans? Not really. I did, um, just recently I managed to come across a collection that was online of basically every Amiga game ever. And uh, there's, well, I'm not sure it's ever, but there's about 4,000 of them. Um, and there's a fair few racing titles in there, so I'm probably going to go through and play those. And uh, various things like Pacific Islands, which was a tank game um, that I used to play uh, when I was much younger. And maybe a little bit of Frontier Elite 2 as well. But um, yeah, I'm going to be going through that, that collection. Uh, have a look for a Amiga sports car sim that was that at the time was very much supposed to be built as this cutting edge sim and it's based around the spice um sports car team in the late 80s early 90s um hmm. it's all like um open top prototypes uh, from the wsc days um i never played it but i remember reading about it in uh, amiga power or something like that uh, back in the day so that. I'll try and find the official title for you. I'll ping that over. Anyway, so who's going to ask me what I'm going to be sending over Christmas? Oh yeah, that would be polite, wouldn't it? Yeah, normally. Um, so yes, John, what are you going to be simulating over Christmas? Tell us. Tell us. Do tell us. I um I don't know to be honest. I intend to be in the rig. Um, again, I've been working a little bit too much, so it'd be nice to have some time off and um get going. Um, I'll probably do some iRacing. I've been dabbling in Automobilista 2 recently. Uh, big updates and a whole bunch of um, exciting Formula 1 cars were thrown into it recently. Um, I've only really dabbled and I need to put some more serious time into it, I think. Um, I don't think I've got my force feedback set up properly and all that sort of thing, so um, I need to dedicate the half a day to getting all that set up and getting a good feeling before I can then uh, get some decent laps in. So. Okay, so while I wasn't listening to you telling me what you were going to do over Christmas, um, was it called Fast Lane, the Spice Engineering Challenge? Uh, yes, I think it might have been, yeah. Yep, yeah. that's within this collection. Nice one. Well, it's a, in our in our special January edition, I look forward to a full report on uh, the Spice Engineering Challenge. Um, Absolutely, it's a hell of a title. Yeah, it is. Fast Lane, the Spice Engineering Challenge, and the um, the collection that I have, it has a nice picture of what looks like a kind of Group C car um, on the main menu, and then uh, proper cockpit view um, yeah, yeah. with a 
rear view mirror and a, and a Momo steering wheel and everything. It looks um, really good for the time. It works. It's, um, I remember, as I say, just a small paragraph about it in Amiga Power, and I'm probably the only person that paid any attention to it at the time. Um, but I didn't even have an Amiga at the time, and I can't remember why I was reading Amiga Power, but there you go. I've just, I've just done a quick Google, and I <clears throat> I do like the pixel art of the uh, the title screen on the setup screen, the pits. There's a very nice pixel art engine there. In fact, a sim of that vintage has a setup screen is a good sign, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Wasn't, very, wasn't actually very common, was it? No, no. Right, okay, well, today, for a special, amazing Christmas special, we're going to talk about the future. The Sims coming along in the future, some of which are coming in 2024, I think, one of which has actually already come out. Um, and, yeah, no, actually, maybe one of them's coming in 2025, I think. But um, let's start with you, Tim, and Rensport. Rensport's kind of already out, right? I mean, yeah, they they have um, what probably they're calling a uh, beta release, but really it's an alpha, I think, um, the actual status. Um, they're still obviously releasing cars and tracks for it, and um, it still has its struggles. Obviously, I've been a little bit involved with the story of this, with um, realizing that it was using the ISI engine, um, but... I don't think there's any need to hold that against them as long as they acknowledge that they are doing that and can obviously move forward with their development. I think um, they genuinely have obviously a passion for what they're doing and um, I just think they have a lot of work to do to get it to even where R Factor 2, the actual engine itself, should have been when they started. Yeah, just as... S397 do with R Factor 2 still, really. Um, yeah. But they, I think they also probably have a lot of work to do to rebuild confidence from the community as well mm -hmm. with the, the recent stuff about it, you know, it being revealed that it's using the R Factor 2 engine and obviously previously before they'd said it was scratch built and all this. And it's like, like you say, using the R Factor 2 engine is no bad thing. Um, though I think it raises question marks about. Um, and, and we, we have those question marks with, with some other sims coming out in the future is like when do we see the sort of genuine next generation of sims because where you look at a sim that is built on an, the engine from an older sim or previous sim that let's face it R-Factor 2 came out in 2011 right? or 2012 it's yeah, over um, 10 years old yeah um, and sure it's still good it still feels good to drive and so on it is very much sort of the previous generation. It's sort of, um, you know, in similar sense, Automobilista 2 utilizes the Project Cars 2 engine. I think it, you know, it extends on what the Project Cars 2 engine was doing a great deal. Um, but when when you're picking up um, another Sims engine, you are tied by the restrictions that that engine was built with, usually. Um, and, and, you know, unless yeah. if you're scratch building your own engine, you are more free to create uh, what what you want to create, whereas you know we see with um, we've seen it historically as well with lots of sims in the past that used the R Factor One engine back in the day. Um, they very much end up tied by what that engine can do. 
Yeah, I mean, if you mention um, AMS2, obviously that comes from the SMS engine, which was obviously Project Cars. Um, and uh, it took it took SMS a long time to really develop their titles from being R Factor with essentially prettier graphics, um, you know, into something more and add a lot of other features and, you know, the um, seasons, rain, you know, things, things like that, which... Um, you know, they, as, as I think we've, um, obviously discussed privately, I, I think they kind of, they bit off more than they could chew with a lot of things and tried to implement a lot of different types of racing. And, 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 um, I think Ian Bell has said himself that they've not fully delivered on, on, you know, certain things because they tried to do too much. Um, but I think any engine, I mean, you you could build it from from scratch and you're only going to get as good as most of these engines in maybe five or six years with really talented people but if you buy someone else's engine it's still going to take you five or six years to become that next generation um and really in that amount of time you have to have put out a product because you're not going to survive if you don't which is why we have all of these early access titles that are constantly developed and stuff like that like nobody can release a finished product anymore um because these studios have to survive but yeah it's it i i think even if you license the r factor 2 engine today i mean you can only look at studio 397 if 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 they you know had just basically repackaged r factor 2 they could have released the le mans ultimate title instantly and they haven't why because there was actually work to do you know and anyone who comes in like the Rensport developers that have no familiarity with the engine it's going to take them even longer so i i don't think they're actually going to release something soon it i i am reluctant to say that they you know won't be able to release it with product i actually think that they could i think that any competent studio could but i think that things are a lot further off than they probably even hope that they are it's been very restricted on access, hasn't it? Initially, the first people driving it were like you know um, esports teams and things like this. And now, so the current beta is that available to the general public, or is that still a restricted release? It's still restricted, but they have sent out what appears to be a decent number of keys now. There was this big kind of joke or meme, I guess, that um, they don't they'd only actually sent out eight keys because they didn't restrict people from creating content but there was only about eight people creating content so there was this big thing that they hadn't actually released the amount of keys that they had said and they they even released uh, for some reason a figure eight track to kind of play into the meme and uh yeah it it, it kind of um it, it really did appear to me that they were really 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 limited on keys but i think that just actually ended within this last month they appear to have sent out at least five figures worth of keys right yeah i mean I I, point, go on Simon. so so i was just going to say go, going back to the kind of engine point now i, I have no idea who Rentspot have on their books and what kind of capacity they have but i think we can all understand the, the logic behind taking on someone else's engine. As you've said, Tim, it's a huge amount of work to create your own, which isn't to underestimate the amount of work it is to get a, get on top of someone else's. And I think for me, when you hear about a new title and it's using this engine, the question 
really in terms of how interesting it is. It's just, well, what, what are they doing different? What's new? You know, what, what's going to make this different than R Factor 2 or any other number of mods that have been released um, for, that, for that platform? And obviously, Remsport are going down very much the eSport focus, as you alluded to, in terms of their kind of first targeted um, users and stuff. But as a title, in terms of whatever it's going to be beyond the eSport angle, where do your expectations sit in terms of what they're going to be able to do with that? What, you know, is there going to be some real novelty here that you think something you're excited about? Well, I mean, we saw some of the limitations of esports during COVID with um, with R Factor Two, right? You know, Max Verstappen famously publicly uninstalling it and so on. Um, the Le Mans race keeling over every few hours and things like that. Clearly, you know, the R Factor Two platform doesn't necessarily seem the best suited for esports necessarily, um, but it's obviously it could that could be an area where they put more of the development focus into, I suppose. Yeah, for me, um, just bearing in mind that you can possibly hear my cat snoring in the background, um, I, I I do find it really interesting that they basically establish themselves as an eSports simulation first. And as I think I've said before on, on, on the podcast, I don't think there's anything wrong with just being an esports title. You know, if you can make enough money from that and obviously develop in, in that way, then I don't see, you know, a problem with that. But um, I have spoken firsthand to certain drivers and um, it's not something that they actually like driving. It's not something that, uh, that they... Um, you know, get real kind of competition through because of the way that the cars uh, react when they're side by side with each other and 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 things like that. So um, they they just do have a lot of work to do to even deliver on the esports side. And again, that's not to say that they can't deliver, um, but they're not there right now, and they're on what coming up to their third season of ESL, which is. A little bit crazy, but that's the order and way that they're doing things. Okay. Yeah, I mean, do we... Is it ever going to be publicly released, or is it, or is this going to be a sim that is always exclusively available to, you know, dedicated esports teams, potentially? You know, and, and maybe, sure, publicly available, provided you create uh, an esports team or something like that, or is there ever going to be this sort of iRacing-like setup where there are regular public pickup races for people to do? I mean, the the intention is that they're going to release a public product, yeah, and it's not going to be completely esports. You know, they have made a lot of promises, including it being a modding platform and everything. Um, but then, you know, you have to go back to Simon's point, is that what's the difference between that and R-Factor 2 at that point? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate. I see that a lot in various forums and stuff like that. Like, as soon as people found out that it was using the R Factor 2 engine, they're like, you know, it's, you know, just go buy R Factor 2. And that's that's not really the, the point. It's like if you, you know, were to treat the Unreal Engine or something in that exact same way, you know, you can have everything from a from a platform game to a driving game on the Unreal Engine. You know, it, it, it kind of... Yeah. It's 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 different, but at the same time, you know, you, you can't 
necessarily say that a studio that's using the R Factor 2 engine is going to end up with R Factor 2 because they're not. I think if you, you can see this example very much in sim racing in, in history, you know, um, Ultima Ballista 1 was essentially based on the R Factor 1 engine, but to drive, you know, that the, the, that sim took that engine a great deal further on than, than what it was in R Factor 1, and yeah. in the same sense, Ultima Ballista 2 is doing with Project Cars 2, so there's nothing that says that somebody can't pick up the R Factor 2 engine and do something quite different and hopefully potentially a lot better with it. Um, not to decry that the you know Studio Three Nine Seven are obviously doing their best with it as well. So I do think with R Factor One though it was much simpler and easier to work with and much better understood by modders and people in the community. And I think the the scope there for a product to come along and use the RF1 engine and take it beyond what was there or add in new content and functionality in a way that made something truly novel. Yeah, I think that's definitely seems much more plausible to me than with the R Factor 2 engine. Um, and there's another title which we'll talk about which is on a similar line but taking a different approach to this and I think that's perhaps showing the other way you go with these things. So let's move on and we'll talk to Simon this time about another game that's kind of already out as well. It's more than kind of already out, it's completely out. Um, Electronic Arts have released WRC, their WRC game. If you can fend your cat off for a minute, Simon. Um, yeah, <laughs> this game, obviously, Codemasters was swallowed up by EA, as we know, and so this game is really a continuation of the Dirt series. Um, it could technically be called Dirt Rally 3 in a way, but EA obviously picked up the official WRC license from Milestone. Um, what do you think of WRC, EA WRC, Simon? Well, I, I haven't played it, so anything I say is not based on first-hand experience. But I think anyone who's listened to a single episode of this podcast will know that I'm pretty big on my rallying and the fact that I haven't played it says quite a lot about my attitude towards it. I mean your your point there that like oh, it could be called dirt free, for example. Well, there's a few things to be with this, but actually one thing just looking at the car list is actually so obviously they Codemasters dropped the Colin McRae and just became dirt after his death. But you look at the car list, it's just it's Colin McRae focused. There's cars in there that have got very little significance really in the real world of rallying. They're just hangovers because this is what they had in their, their stable. So there's the R4 um, kind of, which was McRae's kind of little project to try and create a new platform to be used in rallying. It's not like it was ever has any history there. It's a kind of artifact really. The Mark II Escort that's in there is not a Mark II Escort, it's very much his Mark II Escort, which a lot of people in the rallying world would say isn't a Mark II Escort. It kind of it bears very little resemblance to the, the car most people know and love. And then in terms of the car list, and you two both know that I've ranted about this quite a bit, you know, we, we've talked before about <clears throat> what makes a good sim car and why they're in there. And one of the things we've always sort of talked about is like passion. And when you look at the color and um, the EAWRC car list. There are cars that are just wrong. 
So there's a couple of examples straight off the bat. The RS500 was never rallied, it's not a rally car. It was a homologation special, an evolution of the Sierra RS Cosworth for touring car purposes, different bodywork, bigger turbocharger. It's not what was used in rally, it's not what Colin McRae rallied. It's not what's modeled within the game. If you look at it, it's a standard RS Cosworth. They've got the Mitsubishi Evo 6 is listed under WRC cars. If you followed rallying at the time, it's quite famously wasn't a WRC car. It's mm. a Group A car. Group A A8 car, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was, a, and it was strange because it was even I know that. It was in an era where the WRC classification had come in, and so Subaru brought out the Impreza WRC. You had Ford move, did an evolution of the Escort Cosworth from Group A to WRC, and um, Mitsubishi quite famously stuck with the Group A platform in the hands of Tommy Lacken and were very successful with it. And that was actually really important to that car's success because it had different weight limits, um, different like power um, setup and constraints, and it was kind of slightly anachronistic in its way, but it was effective. And so, if you're going to package these things up and just like give cars the wrong name or put them in the wrong category, what confidence am I meant to have that any proper research has been done to make sure these things perform properly and kind of parameterized correctly within the engine? And, you know, to end this little rant, just watching videos of it pre-release, it just looks janky. The cars don't behave in realistic ways. Some of the state, I've seen like various YouTube hype videos of influencers comparing it, you know, it says a real stage, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, but it wants the width of a motorway and, you know, cars wheels don't move like that. Cars don't turn in and handle like that just dynamically looks all over the shop and i see apart from improved graphics i just see nothing that i couldn't see 10 years ago 20 years ago in the series and that was disappointing at the time yeah i mean i know what you mean in fact seeing it in motion it's not dramatically unlike old colin mccray two title uh, uh, videos you know not that there were videos of much around but i played colin mccray's two back in the day it doesn't seem that different you know, it's very, I don't know, I don't like the term Simcade, but it's kind of Simcade. It's actually kind of more on the arcade side of Simcade. Um, I saw Jimmy Broadbent running it. His uh, his assessment was that it's okay. Like, you know, I didn't. he didn't find it thrilling or amazing to drive, but it's okay. Um, and I, I, I can see that. Um, the thing I see from looking at when you see the cars from the outside and from the inside is that the the suspension barely moves and the cars don't move on the car's bodywork does not move on the suspension. So if you look at any onboard shots as well, you really notice this. For instance, a rally car has quite a long suspension travel, especially when it's set up for gravel. And so you come hurtling down a lane, and you've got a brake say from 100 miles an hour down to 30 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour for this hairpin. When a rally car does that, its nose droops significantly under, you know, there's a great deal of heave in the front suspension, the back will start moving around and so on because it's getting light. You just don't see that when you're watching um, uh, Dirt, Dirt 3, EA WRC. Um, I think it looks uh, certainly from a physics uh, side no different to Dirt or Dirt 2 really that much. Um, Again, Broadbent suggested that it was the only real improvement he felt was on the tarmac side, which needed improvement because 
Dirt and Dirt 2 were abysmal on, on tarmac. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest selling points of it is very long stages. Um, and accurate, are they accurately mapped? I'm not sure. Not completely, no, they are not. So nobody's like been going out laser scanning them or anything like that. It's, no. and, and I don't necessarily expect that, but maybe at least um, you could at least take satellite imagery and get all of the cordon radiuses completely correct. You know, there's no reason why you couldn't do that. Um, if you're EA, that is, you know, there's a, there's a reason why. I mean, I don't know. I could use Google Maps to probably decide to get the corners, corners correct. Uh, if I had EA's resources available to me, I could make um, a pretty good... Uh, approximation, well not appro yeah, approximation of a rally stage, you know, I would want to, I want a rally sim for WRC that isn't just going, well we've got this stage and it's long, um, but it's a sort of um, caricatured version of the stage that exists in real life, I honestly expect it to be as close to the stage in real life as it can be, I want to be able to watch, I want to be able to drive that and then watch watch the rally stage on TV, and then jump into my sim and drive that rally stage. That's what I can do in circuit racing, right? Yeah, just on a couple of those points. So first of all, your your reflection on the suspension and stuff, and for all the kind of technology and advancements that's gone on in the the world of rallying, and relatedly rallycross, I think the the thing that is really probably most impressive on those cars is the dampers. And the suspension technology and that their ability to withstand the kind of brutal punishment they go through yet still be performant on the, the level they are is quite incredible but none of and so you can watch footage of a car on the thousand lakes flying over these jumps you know literally flying tens of meters through the air coming down and carrying on and they in in the way kind of hyperbole gets spread around by commentators they seem to kind of defy physics but they don't and what they always do is look very physical they they are planted they are absorbed you can see the energy being absorbed within that car by its behavior its dynamics yeah. and that's the sort of thing you just do not see at all in game and and for, certainly from the footage i've seen be it internal or external and just on your point about the the stage realism I think from my side, yeah, ideally in a title like this, you would have, you know, realistic recreations of the, the real stages. But one thing that's just quite apparent to me, and it, it goes back to a conversation we'll have on a sort of slightly similar subject when we're talking about Richard Burns Rally, was there the thing that was really noticeable when that game came along was the shape and profile of the road. And that was really important to the way that you can drive those cars as they are meant to be driven. And the thing is, when you watch the, the footage of the, the WRC game, there is just seemingly no need to drive the car in the realistic way. You're not, the car is not dancing across the road using the, the cambers and the slopes and the ditches in the way that real cars do. In the, indeed, the way you have to use um, the, the road and, and the, the grip and the, the shape of the, the contact points. And it just looks so dynamically piss poor. It looks like you say, oh, you know, it doesn't look any different to your games. It, it looks really quite crap. Like it, it looks, there are, there are games a lot available a long, long time ago that did a much better job than that is quite clearly doing in some elements of the physics. And I, 
Well, I mean, Richard I, Burns' I, I, rally is obviously one of those, right? And, ex, the, and, ex, the, and the things exactly. you're talking about, seeing the physics working on the car, seeing the suspension working in the car, were things that Richard Burns' rally taught us. The things, one of the things I remember learning after hours with Richard Burns' rally is how rallying, driving a rallying car is about subtlety. It's about being incredibly gentle, especially a very powerful rally car anyway, but being very gentle with the pedals, being very gentle with the steering, and actually guiding the, the vehicle along the stage. And you see people driving um, EAWRC, and I would say probably Dirt Rally, and to be honest, the previous WRC games, which were, they were mile, milestone, weren't they? Uh, no, it's KT Racing. Or, KT, okay, uh, right, sorry. Uh, Kyleton is the Kyleton, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. They, the, again, it's a sort of caricature of what real rally driving is. It, it's super aggressive, uh, throwing the car around sort of thing. Um, and I think in, you know, in Richburg's rally, what you had to learn is that you are throwing the car around, but you're doing it in a very subtle way and that you have to be precise and you have to drive in a very careful way. You know, as you say, understand what the road ahead of you is doing, where the camber is going, whether there are ruts across the road and how you're going to move the car through those ruts. Understand how physics is going to work on the car through the corner and how, you know, you don't just 100% brakes because you will lock the wheels easily on gravel even if you're doing 100 miles an hour. And you yeah. don't ever 100% throttle because you will just be spinning up. Yeah, and especially on, on gravel especially, um, it's so much about the weight transfer and the balance. And I think that's the thing, is that you're, yes, you, you use the steering wheel and the pedals, but you are using, you're using the car's momentum and you're using the, the energy in the chassis. That's what you're using to get the car moving, to get it, into these slides and you're trying to get it pointing in the right direction so you, as quickly as possible so you can get on the power as quickly as possible and what you can what's always quite apparent in a lot of these these videos um of the sort of more modern rally titles um is that it's it's really not much different to something like sega rally in the arcade yeah 30 odd years ago it's just you just saw away at the wheel you just basically kind of drive it around you're, you're not thinking ahead you're not using momentum using inertia using the the changes of surfaces and the the mass of the car and the dynamics of it it's just oh i'm turning right here saw the wheel right the car will somehow kind of do some slightly canned weird behavior and turn eventually and then you can just and the, the thing is is like it, it if you watch a video of someone driving a stage very fast it kind of can look convincing but you've got to suspend your disbelief you've got to kind of say right forget all of the stuff that looks wrong with it and just kind of it's a bit like watching some know, someone playing tetris really well it's like yeah okay it's impressive as a sort of demonstration of reflexes or skill but it it's got about as much in common with driving a real rally car as as playing tetris yeah exactly yeah i you know there is obviously a place for an arcade style rally sim right that's you know like it's not it's a reasonably successful dirt dirt rally series is pretty successful like clearly people are interested in a uh, an arcade ish rally title 
I just think um, it needs to be more honest about that. Um, and I, I honestly think that there is a place for a hardcore sim rally title as well. Yeah, I, you know, Simon brought up Sega Rally, and um, I think on how much I spent in the arcades on that, because I'm old enough to have been to arcades, um, and uh, it was a lot. You know, I really, really enjoyed that for what it was. And, um, you know, it gave an awesome experience, you know, with, with the way that the gameplay was, was fine-tuned to be exactly what it was as a condensed product. Um, and it really delivered something for me. Um, now, I did actually begin a review of EA Sports WRC, but obviously I got sick, which is the story of my life right now. And um, I ended up not finishing it, but I um, I basically had issues with performance stuttering, um, like like really really big problems. And um, um, even underneath that, I could see that they have made slight step forwards on um, you know Dirt Rally Two as far as the um, kind of how you felt connected to the. Uh, 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 surfaces and, 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 and stuff like that but it still wasn't quite right um, it still is a or an experience that you know you can enjoy but it's not um, you know I, I, still, I still feel like I can start at Richard Burns Rally and have more fun which is a little bit damning really of EA Sports WRC it's um because the other side of that is that they moved um, engines. They moved to using un Unreal engines so that they could have longer, you know, kind of real-world length yeah. stages. And um, in my opinion, that's the only benefit that I can see for the product. I don't feel like it is in any way more impressive visually than Dirt Rally 2 with everything turned up and in the right conditions. Um, and yeah, I as, as far as performance and, and stuff like that, like I don't feel like they've really got on top of things um, because uh, although a lot of my stuttering was fixed in one of the very recent patches, I only need to look at the tweets to see still have this issue, still have this issue, still have this issue. So it, it's it, it's still not fixed for everybody and it's still not uh, a workable product even for some people right now. Okay. Yeah, but putting the performance to one side, going back to your question, John, of, you know, is there space for this? It's like, look, I've, I'm, I'm not a snob about these things. There's plenty of driving games out there of all sorts and, you know, you need to look at the hundreds of hours I've spent on Mario Kart to know that I'm not exclusive to sim racing experiences here. I think my the the thing that I find a bit I think what bothers me with this title is I just think it's disingenuous. It is so heavily pushed as like the be all and end all. There's all this talk about kind of the experience and everything else. The ultimate yeah, WRC experience. Yeah, and it, it's it's not. And I think the problem as well, and you kind of alluded to this, is there is space for a title like that, but there's also space for the kind of then the simulation title. And the problem is there is nothing in that space. We've still got Richard Burns Rally as probably the only decent rally simulation there has ever been. And there are other titles out there that have bits and bobs of rally content, you know, the odd car here, or they might have a bit of rally cross, like a couple, yeah. couple of cars and circuits. But they're 
you know, as, as we've talked about before when it comes to kind of um, what we look for in a title and stuff, yeah, for me, first and foremost, it's the driving the car on, a, on a, an appropriate um, environment. But just having a couple of cars on a track or a stage is not kind of that experience of having the full title. And when you have the WRC license and you look at the resources that have gone into this, and sadly it seems to basically be improving the poly count and adding some more polish it's not about really improving the title i just think what what could the right this have been in the right hands you know if you look at what the richard ben valley guys produced all those years ago probably on a tiny fraction of the budget of this you know if they'd had those resources you know just think where we might be now yeah that's that's a really good point because i um I actually dug up the original press release for Richard Burns Rally and stuff, and, and they were intending to make multiple titles. Obviously, Richard's death um, was a factor in, in things not really panning out there. Um, but yeah, they were planning multiple titles, and it, it really is a shame that uh, that things worked out the way they did there, because they, they really did miracles. They, you know, they, they made such a good uh, sim there. And yeah, there, there's there is totally a place for you know arcade rally and stuff like that like it's it's not like if they don't sort out performance the ea sports wrc isn't still going to be you know like a good time um you know there's actually um going back to sega rally again there's actually a a, a clone being made right now called over jump rally that um is basically like a complete one-to-one -one remake of sega rally except from um it's uh up-to-date uh, visuals. So basically, where you would go through a certain section in Sega Rally, he's literally mirrored wherever there was a rock. He put like a modern, high high poly rock and stuff like that. Like it's a one to one kind of recreation. Um, which I'm 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 really hoping Sega will actually pick up and let him use the IP because it's it's literally stunning. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, surely you're expecting more likely that Sega will issue a cease and desist order. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping not, because <laughs> right now the only thing that they would be able to really do is uh, stop him mentioning them. But uh, yeah, because he's 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 called it something else. You know, it's 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 not um, you know where he's actually infringing on their IP. But yeah, it would be really great if they did. They they have done it a couple of times before. Um, but yeah, he still needs licensing from Lancia and uh, uh, Toyota anyway. And what um, is the base for this? Sorry, uh, he's using Unreal. Um, okay. And um, I think uh, he's actually done a decent job of optimizing it. Like um, I've I've tried the early versions of it, and even running 4K, um, you, you need a high-end machine, which is what he's actually um, like aiming for. He he basically wants it to be state of the art um, in the same way that Sega Rally was when it was released. Um, but yeah, he wants it to be state of the art and use every single. Uh, graphical resource that is out there um, so yeah you're not going to get by with a mediocre PC running it but it looks spectacular and I don't have any issues running it um, but obviously it's only got to deal with um, you know uh, limited cars um, and obviously the uh, stage length is uh, lengths are pretty limited and stuff but yeah it looks really spectacular yeah I mean I think in reflection, of course, Richard Burns Rally was a, a sort of very special um, piece of software that came out through a confluence of quite specific people coming together. Um, in much the way that uh, GPL was, I seem to remember hearing from Hero 
Peter Lane and that the sales weren't that good and that was probably stifling the chances of the proposed sequels at the time. I actually think that there's more of a place for a hardcore rally sim now than there was then. Richard Burns Rally was marketed in the PS2 era um, as a PS2 game and Xbox game as well as a PC game. Um, it was, you know, you can see from the menus and so on that it's very much designed around that area. It was supposed to be a competitor to Colin McRae's Rally, which was clearly much more of an arcade title. Um, nowadays, we have a stronger following for sim racing on the whole. You have more promise with things like early access being available, which you didn't have then. Um, and you have, you know, like more potential within sims you know like iRacing have released a single rally stage for instance which is a tarmac stage uh, in the US and you know I don't know how well it's sold they haven't released more so you know it, it may not be that popular but they've got rallycross going on in there and it's got a fairly popular following the rallycross you know it's difficult rallying and but I don't think that puts some people off you know people have a passion for it and they jump, you know, you jump into Rallycross in iRacing or um, Ultimate Ballista 2 or Ultimate Ballista 1. And it's not that easy, uh, but people persevere and, and do it because they love it. Yeah, there's a couple of things that are really interesting in, in you know, kind of within what you've just said, where um, I think when Richard Burns Rally came out, um, it was challenging. And as we've spoken about before, it was perhaps too challenging for, for a lot of the intended, um, you know, kind of customers out there. I, I can't and, imagine playing it with a PS2 controller. Put it yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I think um, in this day and age, there's um, vastly more people on console, especially that have steering wheels and stuff like that, you know, and, and they are somewhat used to um, a higher grade of realism than they were at at the time. Um, you know, it, 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 I, I think if you pick up any racing game and your first experience isn't that you're the best driver ever, you know, that, that, that was a real problem for people. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other thing that you mentioned with, with iRacing, with their Mount Washington hill climb and, and things, is that um, there was actually a thread about this recently on the iRacing forums that I took part in, and, and it, it really is disappointing to me from the outside that iRacing don't do anything to push um, underused content. You know, they'll they have um, the esports and featuring you know the the higher level um, you know content that everybody's trying to get towards and stuff like that. But if they see low participation with a series, why aren't they? marketing that series trying if they get, see yeah. yeah you know trying it, to get it, participation going because basically if anything they just sort of let it rot, rot away most yeah, of the time it, it, or it, rely it on away. rely on smaller the, the, the communities within those to keep them going if you look yeah. at like the historic stuff you know it's the communities that keep those those series going more than iRacing do yeah but i mean again though you know they are often more interested in selling the new stuff so you know every season if they release a new circuit they'll throw that into everybody's um you know everybody but like you know they'll put that into the rotations for the following season you know Magello just came yeah. out therefore it's very likely that it will appear in the in the rotation for most of the the cars that are suitable for it um what you don't see as you say is like nobody they're not they're going well 
not not that many people own this track or, or ever race on this track, so maybe we should throw that into uh, everybody's rotation. Um, most of what happens is that the community around a car will decide, will vote on what tracks they want for the following season, and then iRacing will force a couple on them, which are usually yeah. the new ones. Um, yeah, it, it just, you know, from my perspective, it's just really disappointing because I... I I honestly felt like when they released Mount Mount Washington, it's like you know this is this is a first step towards them seriously supporting point to point racing. I, I I felt like you know this is where they can get into rallying. Um, this is even where they can get into drag racing. You know, where, you know where where it's literally point to point rather than a circuit. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I felt like if that sold well, if the participant if if the participation stayed high i i felt like they would really start to kind of go into that area a bit a, a bit more i mean the fact that they have all of the rallycross cars and stuff like that it's like you know people can obviously use those there um and uh yeah i i really felt like that would uh be a thing but i i just feel like they're just going to let it rot and i'm just really disappointed by that <laughs> okay well let's move on um Next sim along the line is Le Mans Ultimate uh, by Studio397. Um, I guess I'll start on this one. Um, as we know, Studio397 obviously famous for making R Factor 2. Uh, this therefore will be a sim that utilises the R Factor 2 engine, um, but has been in, in development for a while, and I expect it's going to do some interesting things that the R Factor 2. Um, sim doesn't currently do um for one thing the it's it's a full simulation of the fia wec championship so it's called le mans ultimate but it's not just le mans it covers the what is it eight races in the season uh for the i think it's covering the 2023 season initially isn't it yeah 2023 yeah so um you know you've got the monza six hours bahrain Eight hours, um, etc., etc. Fuji six hours, going around the world. Um, some nice tracks, um, going to be well represented. Obviously, in the WEC, the technology in the cars is doing some stuff that, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that no sim is currently doing. Um, iRacing have a bunch of IMSA LMDH cars, but they're not really modelling them properly. Uh, I am obviously in hope that um, Studio 397 intend to model these cars properly um, with LMU. Um, the point being that the hybrid systems in use in WEC are not a boost-based system. They have regulations that essentially say that the um, hybrid is not used to supplement the power of the uh, ICU, um, but rather as a... Um, vehicle stability aid and um, brake by wire assist and so on so I mean it's these are remarkably complicated systems I read about it in race car engineering and it's actually the possibly the biggest area of rapid development in motorsport at the moment um, which is mostly software driven um, with every race that passes um, basically these teams are going back to their software developers for the way that the hybrid system is managing the um, the car around a given circuit to look at different ways that they can adjust um, the 
wheel speeds, for instance, across the rear wheel, rear wheels to um, adjust vehicle behaviour. So these, the hybrid system has essentially become a setup aid in that respect. Now, I don't think LMU is going to be able to reproduce this in the sense that, let's say, even if they're using the, a, a replica of the software that the cars themselves are running, it's going to be an older version. If Ferrari or Porsche are going to give them their software, they're not going to give them anything too current, because that's, then it's obviously going to be in the hands of their competitors. Um, but I do hope that the cars differ. I do hope that you they don't present us with some sort of generic systems, whereby if you jump into a Porsche 963, uh, you get exactly the same systems as a Ferrari 499 or uh, uh, the Peugeot uh, wingless thing. Um, I'm really hoping that we get some decent systems modelling, basically, and that um, some interesting setup stuff going on in terms of how you will uh, manipulate those systems to best um, adjust the car. Um, as I say, iRacing are not quite doing this correctly. They've basically cut, uh, copied and pasted a, um, a boost-based uh, hybrid system over from um, some of their Formula One cars, which they, which weren't necessarily that accurate either. Um, but they have implemented things like brake migration and, and brake uh, brake bias targets and things like that. So the, you look at something like a Porsche 963, and there's something like four different settings for how for braking management that create a, a fascinating depth of exploration with the more laps that you run in that car you start to experiment with some of these tools that you can change on board in the car you know and um and it it i think it presents an enormous depth to the cars and obviously lmu will have the gt3 um and the LMP2 categories, if it's 2023, uh, they'll also have the Glickenhaus and the Van Wall. Uh, the Van Wall is already in Alpha 2, which are both don't have a hybrid system and present, um, you know, a more straightforward experience uh, for people. But the way I see it, the WEC, in that sense, it as it's intended to in real life for drivers, can provide a um, a proper video gaming experience in the sense that you can start with GT3. GT3 cars are easy to drive and difficult to master, I would say, but they don't have a vast amount of complexity when it comes to setup. I mean, they have traction control, ABS, those sorts of things that you can work with. Um, and, you know, you could do a full season in a GT3 car and then feel ready to move up to an LMP2 car, do a full season in that before you feel ready to move up to LMH and, and that sort of thing. I don't know how many people play video games that way anymore, but in a sense, if you look at it from, from as a single player title, that means that you've got potentially hundreds of hours of enjoyment there, you know. Um, even if you're shortening the races, you know, I don't know if... I guess, I guess presumably they're going to have an AI implementation that can be your co-driver for the single player experience. Um, and hopefully they're going to have a save game system because doing the Le Mans 24 hours without being able to save your game midway through will be a disaster. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, this could be a very very good title, especially for the offline crowd uh, and online. You know, it's got what Alpha to Two has got really. It's it's been interesting just uh, the past month or so since AMS Two released its last big update with the um, you know the 
um, active suspension and stuff like that and how people have really realized how good of an offline um, racing sim it actually is right now especially with all of the AI tweaks and stuff like that that they've made um, and people are actually realizing that they can get a good race and the reason why I mentioned AMS too is because you know I'm hoping that people will be, will be able to do that with 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 um, LMU with with um, with a full season you know um, you know if you can have those individual races that are tied together that's that's great um, you know that they, they will have mid-race saving that's something that, that they've mentioned um, and uh, you know that that is something that was kind of in our factor two with the resume from replay but um, they have actually come out with a little bit of info that says how it's um, improved on that and how it saves extra data and stuff like that now so it, it should yeah, should should actually function how it's supposed to, um, which which isn't you know it's not to put down the R Factor Two resume from replay feature because Terence threw, threw that together in about like a few hours I think, um, but yeah it, it uh, I've I've worked with these guys I have a lot of um, faith in what they can do um, wh who I don't have faith in is motorsport games and um whether they will still exist which will allow studio 397 to exist which will allow lmu to exist yeah i i was doing a little bit of um reading up on on lmu because i was it, it's kind of it's it's a curious time for it to launch um so it's due to launch on i think the 20th of february next year which is four days before the new season starts and the WEC, for those who aren't familiar, is undergoing quite a significant change between last year and, and then next year. And they, they've basically said on their website, oh, the idea for this is that it's going to be like a, a long-term title. It's not a released as, as it is, maybe a couple of patches and it's done. The idea is that there's long-term support and it grows and develops, which would potentially be really fascinating and interesting. And, a great time for a title like that when you've got a series which seems to be going from strength to strength the number of manufacturers and things coming in next year that I think understanding is they're sort of struggling to find spots on the grid is that going to get to happen you know are we going to see the title become everything it could be well you know I mean the hope would be that we get like a 2024 DLC right and that's in Alpine Lamborghini and so on you know yeah BMW but I won't. But will we? Give, <laughs> give it, I mean, I'm I'm not as on top of all the kind of uh, comings and goings as you are, Tim. Certainly, but even I've even even my kind of sheltered life, all this news about motorsport games and stuff has been filtering through to me. And I guess the one thing you can say is, well, look, um, this title hasn't gone the way of quite a few of the other titles which have been pulled but then it also seems that maybe this is the one that's actually exists in some form reasonably close to release though February is kind of far and close at the same time I guess yeah I mean we were you know one of the titles that we obviously pulled from this you know because we we put down a little list of titles that we wanted to talk about one of the titles that we pulled was IndyCar 23 that was one of the um, titles that motorsport games uh have potentially lost because um, it's it's actually a weird situation. Although a lot of people are reporting that that, that they've lost the IndyCar license, currently IndyCar have um, have moved to uh, kind of 
get rid of the deal, but Motorsport Games haven't yet confirmed it. So, as far as I'm concerned, it hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, if there's some legal thing that makes them hold on to the IndyCar license, then they still have have uh, the IndyCar license. But yeah, um, they have lost the BTCC license through breach of contract, right? Yes, um, yeah. and and that's something that obviously um, they've they've confirmed that too. We, and the fact that they haven't confirmed the IndyCar license makes me obviously see that as a different thing. It may just, maybe the wheels of legal yeah, exactly. things have yeah. to happen, I guess. So you know. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I, I do think that they're they're going to lose it. It's just a question of timing. But um, yeah, with with LMU, I I think that. Um, I think that it'll happen. I still keep seeing people getting laid off, which you know means that they're still trying to save money. That you know, I feel like trying to eke it out um, to where they still need to get to. The most recent person that I saw uh, was a, a guy called Jimmy, who did um, a lot of the esports events and server running and um, all all sorts of stuff. Um, most notably for the. Um, for the Le Mans Virtual series, um, you know, so, so that's Jimmy, kinda... Jimmy that used to run the VEC, right? The, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so you know that that's a little bit concerning because it's obviously it's connected in a way because obviously part of the the uh, Le Mans license you would expect it to have an esports element in the license that they have to deliver on something like that. So are they still going to be able to do that? But um, you know, I I still think that they can make it happen i think they're trying to eke it out to that point and then obviously um if it's a good enough product which i think that they can deliver then i would hope that that basically rescues the uh, studio um and then uh yeah hopefully we'll see things go forward from there um one thing to note is that Le Mans ultimate was initially scheduled to be released at the end of this year and they did push it to the next year um, and from what I've seen, the reason for that is because basically they're having to build uh, car and track content. And um, based on the speeds that I know that things worked at, I think that they just basically haven't had the capacity for that. Um, so, so they've kind of had to um, push that back so they can put the cars together effectively. There's a lot of cars in the WEC, right? And mm-hmm. of course, some of them, yeah. R-Factor 2 has an LMP2 car, it has a number of GT3 cars. I don't know exactly whether those GT3 cars are current season, um, but a few. There will there will be mostly along the way. But I mean, I hope this does come out. I really hope it does. It would be terrible at this stage for it to become vaporware. I know that the IndyCar game was pretty far along. You know, like all of the IndyCar drivers talked about how they'd gone to have their face scanned and and so on for the for all the. Stuff. I don't know whether LMU is having that level of face scannery going on or not, but um, it certainly seems pretty. From what I've heard speaking to some people there, it, I think it's pretty far along and it would be absolutely tragic if it was to become vaporware, I think, at this point. I think one thing, yeah. I, I, a question I have, um, not expecting any review to have the answer, but a, a question I have that remains to be seen with this is we've talked before. Um, about um, cars can sort of change through the season and stuff and this is obviously happening being released kind of retrospectively after the the real world season has, has happened I don't know how they're going to handle 
updates through the season and especially something that does go on in the WEC is balance of performance and how you kind of differentiate between what was balance of performance manifesting itself in the performance as opposed to kind of the raw behavior of the car and stuff I yeah I, I imagine it's quite challenging when you're trying these cars are quite complicated anyway as you were saying John then there's quite a few other factors to try and sort of eke out in this and one thing that was really noticeable watching the WEC this year is how you would have cars go from track to track to track and suddenly this car just came alive that had been nowhere mm. or this car that had been really good was suddenly nowhere to be seen you would see kind of slightly freak circumstances you know a safety car in kind of damp conditions and suddenly one car just could not turn its tires on at mm. all and because it's a fairly it's a kind of it's very much in its infancy as a class the um the hypercar category at least pretty much every race was revealing something new to me as a viewer and to, and, my and to the teams of, yeah, exactly. With the exception of, of maybe Toyota, all of yeah. the teams were in their first year with these cars, yeah. right? Yeah, and so you'd, you would see, you know, yeah, and that was a point that was often made, is every time it came to a new race, you know, for Porsche and Ferrari, they were bringing these new cars here, whereas Toyota had all their experience of t- taking this car to these tracks and tyres and everything else, the, the data and understanding. I do just wonder how you, I don't know what cooperation there is from the manufacturers and teams in terms of sharing data and information, but it's the sort of thing where I'd be very curious to know how much the performance is underpinned by true data and knowledge as opposed to some, not to sound overly critical, but guesswork. I, I mean, I, I think with every sim, it's you know, unfortunately, because they don't want to share every bit of data, it's always going to be a mixture, um, you know, between um, someone who works for a company, um, essentially being a race engineer who's trying to, um, you know, create a virtual race car from what he can understand of the data that he's given. Um, but uh, yeah, you you are going to have to fill in some gaps and i actually think the fact that they are releasing 2023 content in 24 makes certain things a lot easier for them because there's there's a greater understanding of what happened in the season now than there was as it was happening yeah and we um, know what balance of performance was put into place yeah. in, in different tracks and things like that yeah uh, and i also think that as i say what i was saying about like the software that the cars are running you know the, you know, there's no reason why toyota might not say well, you can have our January 2023 version of our software because our January 2024 version is so, so, so far further on than, than that was. Um, but, you know, they also know that in January 2023, they were much quicker than any other teams. It's the teams that aren't necessarily as quick that might be more protective or things like that. But it's hard to say, you know, like um, the LMDH category are all running spec uh, MGUs, right? Hardware. They all run a Bosch MGU, but it's their software that is that is very bespoke, um, and so they will want to protect that um, information. But I don't know. I mean, I know that with Assetto Corsa Competizione, they got a surprising amount of collaboration from the teams, but it's a kind of it's kind of a different situation because in in GT3 racing, all of the teams pretty much are customers. They buy their cars off the shelf, um, and it will be the same in LMU with the with the GT3 category um, or LMP2. 
and people are happy to share the data sure whatever it's, it's a customer car you know to some extent this data is available if not publicly it's a, it's around um, but when it comes to factory made cars especially from teams like Ferrari Toyota uh, Peugeot maybe um, and some of the LMDH I mean I do, Peugeot may not be so fast actually because as far as I'm gathering they're going to play their joker next year and redesign their car completely from an aero perspective so the the um, that car might be is, is essentially being mothballed and therefore sure have all the data you want um, so how much consistency there will be I don't know and I know that Ferrari are pretty cagey with these sorts of things so you know it, it could be interesting to see so a question I have for both of you and I, I think I probably know your answer John I'm not so sure on Tim's is that so Tim you, you've alluded to in the past that you know you something you would really like to see in titles is more like what this is lining up to be a proper package of a season and stuff but how interested are you actually in the content because I find it quite a strange one so the WEC is a series that I really enjoy and I watch pretty much every race and the vast majority of every race and obviously they're quite long so I've got a strong interest in the in the content but how interested I'm in driving it I'm not actually sure and I think for me personally the hypercars are probably over something of an event horizon for me where they're just too complicated i think i don't think i actually Come have on. i don't i just the, the problem is it's not so much necessarily objectively they are it's not that it's too complicated for me to ever learn or master i don't think my interest is great enough in learning them to invest the time and effort so i think you've got the the gt3 and the lmp2 maybe the hypercar, which is obviously like the Halo content, I just I can't see me ever bothering with, to be honest. Well, I'm I'm not a fan of downforce. I think is you know something that I've possibly said before. I I would much rather race. Um, I mean that GT racing, um, you know, modern GT racing uh, for me still has a little bit too much downforce and a, a, um, not enough feel. I guess is how how I would put it. GT3 um, cars are pure aero cars now. Mm -hmm. you yeah, like it so, right. It's all about yeah, ride heights. And <laughs> Basically. The, any of the high-end prototypes, uh, modern F1, stuff like that, it, it's just, it's it's not my thing. It's just really not. Um, I'm quite happy to um, see them come flying past me on a straight somewhere. Um, you know, and feel immersed in that race you know, um, within my own class, but um, I don't think the um, the high downforce cars are for me. I mean, my answer is that I will want to master, like I will drive the hell out of those hybrid LMH cars. Like, <laughs> the more technology, the better, the more complexity. You want a 1,000 page manual that just yeah, I mean, how to start the thing. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching the Petit Le Mans, they interviewed uh, J Jensen Button, who was having a go in the um, WeatherTech Porsche, I think he was in, um, Porsche 963, and he said that there was a 59-page manual for the steering wheel, for all the <laughs> settings on it, um, switches and buttons. And I just thought to myself immediately, why why have I bought that car in iRacing and it hasn't got a 59-page manual full stop, let alone just for the steering wheel? It's an absolute outrage. Um, but yeah, I mean, frankly, I... Um, I revel in jumping into a car and spending a concerted amount of time learning 
about it, learning a lot about it. I mean, I revel in this in all sims. I do the same with aircraft and flight sims. You know, like I, there is a huge amount of interest to me in the learning phase, um, and and I almost get turned off to a race car once I feel that I haven't got much new to learn about it. You know, like recently in the Super Formula in um, high racing, I I wouldn't say I've reached a dead end in setup, but the setup of that car is not very complicated really and certain things work very well certain things on, on certain tracks you know if it's more bumpy you do this if it's less bumpy you know like one track that is not very bumpy versus another track that is not very bumpy the setup is not very different and so once you understand that setup you're not really doing that much track to track to to work with it whereas yeah. it immediately steps into the porsche 963 which i mentioned earlier has you know four different settings just for braking and to move from two different tracks I found the the way I wanted the car to behave was immensely different now I haven't driven that car anywhere near as much and so there's a lot more to learn but basically I tend to find I level out on a car once I've learned everything about it I will reach a performance level that is of a certain level that is you know not as fast as the fastest people in the world but not necessarily you know like not really that slow either um and i i t tend to know that no matter you know if i could drive it for another 50 hours i probably won't get as fast as the fastest people in the world but you know i i won't drive it for another 50 hours if there's nothing new for me to learn about the car learning is important in vehicle simulation for me yeah i think maybe you you reach your plateau quicker than i do but i i i like to learn how to drive the car not how to operate it well they're two they're, think... they're the same thing though you know that well, operating, operating the car is is no, about how you want <laughs> operating the car is about how you want to drive the car right yeah i completely understand what you're saying but the point is is i want i want the car with nothing the first, about the first you thing you do when you jump into a car, you drive it for three to five hours and you learn how to drive the car. You don't change anything on setup. That's you learning how to drive the car. Then you start to work with the setup or the electronics or whatever else to try and make the car drive more the way you want it to drive. Yeah, so, it takes you know, more than three to five hours to learn to okay, drive a car. Okay, fine. But, like, you know, I think it takes a minimum of three hours some of us just want to race not to go round and round and round and round and round yeah 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 that's what mario cars fought him <laughs> yeah i guess um yeah i was just thinking you know um the thing with msg and stuff like that i, I was thinking back to ea with uh, wrc as well like um EA, ea just laid off people from codemasters and um, they made like $5.9 billion profit within the last 12 months. And they laid people off. Like, that's all um, obviously about their shareholders. That, sh that shows that they completely hold their, um, their uh, shareholders above their own staff. And, um, you know, that's, that's what that means. Um, you know, when you look at, um, at MSG, um historically they've done exactly the same thing um you know the people that have made money during the operation of msg have pretty much already left and they took the money with them you know and what's left there now is um 
a company that's basically trying to survive with minimal people there. Um, and it's, in my opinion, um, EA and the old MSG kind of swimming in the same pool. Um, and, EA probably started with more money. Yeah. Um, sorry, just kind of choked a little bit there. Um, but yeah, the the thing with like now is that, yeah, I, I just am seeing them trying to eke it out. I'm seeing people that I used to work with being laid off gradually in areas that if I was operating a company, like, yes, unfortunately, you're not involved with the direct production of this thing that's going to make us money. Um, you're going to have to be the one who's laid off, you know, and I, I'm seeing decisions now that make logical sense. They still hurt, but they make logical sense. And um, in the past, I didn't see that, which is, you know, I used to work there and I left because I realized, you know, this is not a place that the business is, the, the choices they're making aren't, aren't logical. It's as if they're making decisions to not have the company uh, live. You know, they're making choices for it to die so that they can pull money out. That's basically what it felt like. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's unfortunate that there's being layoffs and stuff like that. But I, I, I genuinely, you know, I want to see them survive and I think that they can do, do it if they keep making these kind of changes that they're making as much as they hurt. Um, but yeah, I'm just hopeful that they'll get there. And then, um, you know, as we look forward to, um, you know, we can also look forward to uh, what's coming next from Kunos because um, there also have been layoffs within uh, Digital Brothers too, which is the company that owns 505, which is obviously involved with, with uh, Kunos. And although they have said that there hasn't been anybody who's directly involved with AC2, um, I actually have seen on LinkedIn, there's been some uh, marketing people, especially, who were involved. Um, no longer who, yeah, who who no longer are, and it's an unfortunate thing with the game industry right now. There's about ten thousand people that have been laid off. Yeah, across the um, like across gaming, yeah. this is happening everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, I, it's it's a difficult situation, but I think there's a lot of negativity around MSG, and unfortunately for MSG, I really don't feel like the people that have created the negativity are still there, and they're still having to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, with EA, they still are. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, I, I I think the stuff that's happening for Digital Brothers and 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 everything, I think that is general, kind of just trying to recover from money they've spent effectively. Um, but yeah, it, I'm I'm kind of hopeful that we'll see. Um, you know, no effect on AC2. I think I'm really hopeful that we'll see LMU come along as well. But yeah, let's have an actual proper chat about AC2. Assetto Corsa 2. This is a sim that we know very little about. Um, Tim, I'm not wrong, they were saying suggested to release in 2025? 
Yeah, they've pushed it a couple of times now, and uh... I think we're looking at a scratch-built engine um, yeah. for this one, and we yep. don't know for sure. But judging by the name of the title, it's not going to be like a Zetacosa Competizione, so it's not going to be based on a, um, a series. It's going to be another one of your classic. Here's a bunch of cars, here's a bunch of tracks, now have at it type sim. Um, which of course in the in the post-Gran Turismo era of life means that it's probably going to have to have quite a lot of cars. And in the post-i-racing period of life it probably means it's going to have, have to, ideally, have some sort of competition system. Uh, online, maybe even an online live service component to it. Um, but we just don't know, do we? Because there's very little information available on it. Yeah, so I've, I've just looked it up, and um, it was actually originally mentioned in financial documents uh, spring 2024, um, and then they re-announced that it was still on track for Q2 2024, and then they've pushed it to summer 2024. So, um, and that also is early access, summer yeah. 2024. So, yeah, let's let's consider full release 2025. I would expect, it, I would expect it to follow the same path as uh, ACC and AC before it in running at early access, probably with a pretty limited set of cars and tracks that steadily grows. And so ultimately yeah. it might be, you know, a year uh, to 18 months maybe before it's a sort of fully released product. And I think I think the most recent delay was due to them going back to add more content to ACC, um, the yeah. Nürburgring the, update and stuff. Yeah, and GT2 cars coming to yeah. it as well, yeah. I'd, I didn't actually believe that as a reason for them delaying it. I think they just needed to delay it, but, but <laughs> that's well, that's what they said. Yeah. But I mean, on the, on the point of... Um, it's quite interesting that this is the I mean I, I'm not exactly huge in the know about say Rensport but AC2 basically all I know is it's a sequel to a set of courses that's kind of what I know and it's quite interesting that with no more information than that it's also the title that by far I'm the most excited about um, and there's a couple of reasons for that is one you know a set of courses right up there is probably my favourite certainly of the kind of relatively recent or what still gets played at all, my favourite title. Um, but I also like the approach they tend to take. They are quite understated. It's not all hype. It's not, this is the best thing ever, the biggest and the best. It's a group of people who have, um, in different um, forms and in different titles, going back quite a few years, have delivered consistently yeah. brilliant driving experiences and you know there have been some bumps along the way with some of the the titles you know not everything has been perfect from the off the bat but at each point of release of their titles i've never kind of really felt they're particularly behind the curve on the things that matter the most to me and a set of Corsa, especially for me was the title that just put the biggest smiles on my face in terms of the content um, and without knowing exactly what's going to go in AC2, I would I would actually be, and I'm not suggesting this is a clever marketing strategy or what they should do, but I'd be quite happy to be, buy AC2 with it basically just being the exact same content as AC1, oh, but great. with, yeah, with yeah. tweaks to the, you know, with the, the latest bells and whistles they've got on the physics side. And it's not going to be that, you know, it's going to obviously have, have more. Probably way less. Well, I mean, <laughs> to start knows? with at least, you know, to start yeah. with. 
But I mean, I agree with you that I think AC one was the was like a love letter to the car. You know, the, yeah. the thing point you made earlier. You know, these guys at Kunos have an extreme amount of passion for motor cars, for motor racing, um, and it shows in in what they produce. And as you say, in aesthetics, of one there was a vast like even without mods. You know, if you take all the DS, DLC put together, you've just got a huge range of really interesting cars that you could spend hours playing with and you know like the sim itself there's a bunch of laser scan tracks could maybe do with a few more um but it's it's lacking in certain areas like live track and and things like that um and in the competition system you know time of day temperature variations etc which are in there but they're just sort of much more primitive than some of the more modern sims now um you know, take if you to take that product as you say and, and turn it into modernize it essentially. Um, I think you've got you've got a winner really. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting. I really um, you know th thinking back on the early stages of R Factor Two, I I kind of I have concern for AC Two um, because although um, you know like you you're saying that you would like to see AC Two come along with being AC1 but improved in these areas the, the there's a lot of mods that are really high quality and um, that change what the actual product is and I, I'm kind of worried that AC2 is going to find itself in the same place as R-Factor 2 where it's competing with its previous iteration um, and uh, you know um, AC2 is going to have a lot to compete with with, with AC1 and I, I, I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts before where I, I think it would be crazy to not support AC1 mods out of the box in some way um, you know I, I think you know they need to keep the, that modding community in their, in their house um, and not let them go anywhere else um, because that's you know as you said earlier too the um, R Factor Two modding was way too uh, complicated, um, you know, compared to R Factor One, um, and uh, we lost them. You know, they 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 went somewhere else. Um, you know, because it was obviously um, as good of a platform and um, it was easier. Yeah. So. so just I think there's two things here that I need to kind of differentiate, and there's one is my own personal what I would like or what would satisfy me and and what I think would make a good business case and a, a good move from them as a, a developer if they want to kind of keep keep selling stuff. Now I've got no idea in terms of the sales numbers of these games. Um, the fact that they've gone to AC2 and that's happening to me suggests they obviously think it's viable. You know, they wouldn't be going into it thinking it's not going to work, obviously. Quite how much of AC1's success comes down to the modding community in terms of people buying the game because of the availability of these titles or how much that's retained people's attention, I don't know. But I completely understand the point you're making, which if, if AC2 comes along but it is closed, you know, you can't mod it in the way that I don't think you really can with ACC, or it's just prohibitively complicated in the same way that RF2 came along. I do think there's then going to be a challenge of how do you get people to migrate, you know, and for me personally, that's not an issue, but I imagine for a lot of users, that could be an obstacle. And I've, I've no idea, obviously, what their intentions are here. 
the main benefit that this modding community has given to AC1, I guess, is that people are still buying copies of the game, uh, you know, now, 10 years, 11 years after. So, but, but they're buying copies of the game on Steam in a sale for like four ninety nine, right? And so the cut that they're getting from this sale is nowhere near what it was when the game was full price, nowhere near what it was when it was newly released. Um, we've often talked in the past about how games like um, GPL didn't sell big numbers and so on, and it's because of the way distribution was in those days that that's how the game went out in a box. You have to wonder if GPL had sat on Steam for 15 years, how many copies it would have sold, and that changes the way the games are made nowadays. But there is an open question mark from, I think, from Kunos's perspective as to whether they want the attention of the modding community. Um, do they want it to be a part of them? And I think it's a very difficult thing to sort of really integrate into your game without introducing a lot of variability in quality. And one of the things that Assetto Corsa 1 had going for it, I think, if you ignore mods and look at the base package, compared to a number of other sims, such as uh, sims around at the time, like Project Cars 2, R-Factor 2, even iRacing at the time, those sims had an enormous amount of inconsistency within the product. You know, you drive one car and you go, this feels great. You drive something else and be like, I don't know, this car feels broken. And then, you know, six months later, there'd be an update for that car. That, you know, oh, this is fixed now. The difference with Assetto Corsa 1 is that they never released a car that wasn't ready to go. There was never a car release that didn't feel good. It didn't feel right, or at least, you know, some cars didn't feel good just because they're shit cars, frankly. But, you know, like, <laughs> that was part of the thing, and that was one of the beauties of AC1. You knew that. You knew that much level of detail was there. You knew that, okay, so uh, this Porsche 935 handles like a pig, and that tells me that in real life this car handles like a pig, and I know that. Whereas there were times in iRacing, in Project Cars 2, in, in um, R-Factor 2, where you got in a car and you went, hang on, this just isn't right. You know, there's something broken here. And as I say, sure enough, then they'd release a patch update for it and it'd be fixed. The consistency level in Assetto Corsa 1 from day one was fantastic. I think Aris Vasilakos had a lot to do with that, the vehicle engineer. Like, he didn't want to let cars go out the door until they were top quality. So if you integrate modding into your sim and say have uh, like 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 how um, Minecraft or whatever or um, certain other you know where where it's just you know you go to a menu in game and go look here's the community stuff and you know it's like going to the community paint jobs in GT Seven which is superb you know GT Seven has this enormous community painting cars. Uh, get you can get a paint job for your uh, for your race suit blah 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 somebody has made the um, livery of your dreams for your car inevitably most cars you go to there's thousands and there's obviously then loads that have got a big penis down the side of the car and stuff like that as well right so like you introduce as a you, you introduce for your team and Kunos is still quite a small team you introduce an overhead in having to support that and also having to moderate that um, and it becomes quite a big overhead and like I think I mean I don't know how Kunos feel about this directly 
But if you look at the way Assetto Corsa Competizione was, it was a, again a very consistent product. The cars all were very um, solid and worked the way you expect them to work. Um, and a new car would come out and you'd never think it was broken or whatever. Um, do do they? I think they like to maintain that level of consistency and maybe maintain the control over their product as a whole. Yeah, I think ACC is largely responsible for me figuring out what I actually wanted out of sim racing again. Like you know, like 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 Simon said earlier. Like I have mentioned a few times on on the podcast about wanting a whole season experience. I think until ACC came along, I'd kind of forgotten what I wanted, um, and then when it came along and it had just this select group of you know this is a season of content um you know it made me realize oh that's what i would like for like indycar that's what i would like for this series that's what i would like for that series it's like you know and 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 then i thought to myself why aren't developers making these anymore and it and you know it made me think about ac1 and 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 r factor and stuff like that being modding platforms and it's like like no, I actually feel like I've lost out there, personally, from with R Factor Two, where it had like one example of one car and then one example of mm-hmm. another car, and expected modders to fill it out, and the modders wouldn't be as good quality often, um, and you know it it kind of it did um, alter my experience of of, of sim racing in a, in, you know in a in a kind of negative way and i think acc made me realize that is is you know when you get a consistent product that really delivers like i i i don't know if i've said it on the podcast or not but still one of the best experiences that i've ever had in sim racing was when i started a race at uh, monza um and and it started wet um all of the ai started on wet tires um i you know wanted to risk it so i started on slicks um and uh was completely awful for for a couple of laps and then for the next two to two to three laps on on this drying track it was the best experience that i think i've ever had in sim racing um you know where i was just having the time of my life driving this 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 slippery car and the vehicles are in context in this system as well so when you've got a cut a season like this a season of content everything is contextual and so yeah. i know yeah. i know there are lots of people listening to this that will disagree and that think that having a sim like gran turismo with 10 billion cars and 5 billion tracks is great and, and i can see that and it's nice to have lots of choice and um variability but i think you lose a lot of atmosphere by losing context you know, the, you watch a race, to, to be able to watch a race on the TV and then replicate that race on your your computer is, like, you know, largely why we all started wanting to do this. And so to go, well, I'm going to race, uh, I'm going to race this, um, this GT3 car on uh, Monza Historic 1967. Well, you know, it's completely makes no sense but it's also about the whole atmosphere and making it feel like you're taking part in an event um and yeah i mean i think with ac2 we are assuming and, and i think we're probably right that it's going to be a return to like ac1 where it is just cars and tracks i think there's a massive challenge 
to reproducing the kind of you know race event atmosphere that they have in ACC um, into a sim that is essentially more of a, a track day thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I think on, on that point, though, I, I'm not sure to what degree it's the intention to try and have that experience or they would be wise to try. I mean, I think the, the point on context, I've got a couple of things I'll say on that, is one, I agree, but I would say that, well, as a user, you've got a choice of whether you take this car out on that track. You know, you don't have to. So you don't have to take something and, you know, take a fish out of water. You can use cars on appropriate tracks. Um, that That's there as your choice. To, to do either way the other thing i would say is that i think in in terms of and going back a little bit tim to what you were saying about kind of the experience or what you're looking for and tying in with your comments john about kind of the consistency and quality of ac i think one thing i so one thing first of all I'll just make clear is that i've never actually, i've only ever downloaded one mod for a set of Corsa, which was some kind of system thing you told me to download john when we spent two hours trying to organize an online server um so no content the, the no, gui replacement whatever it was i can't remember um, it, content it, manager is called yeah. that's it because i spent like two dollars or something on it um but i never downloaded cars or tracks because i've never needed to but also there, there are obviously the questions of is this any good or not but one thing that i think a set of courses been very good at is basically providing a curated set of content. And so what I find a set of course has been very interested in, interesting for me is that with a few exceptions, which I'll come on to, you'll see a car and it's like, well, I've, I've never driven that, or I don't know much about that. But the fact it's in there almost always suggests it's something that's worth your time. It's interesting. Now, there are some exceptions. There's a few cases where there's like some big SUV thing gone in there from, I don't know, Maserati or Porsche or something. I don't know. I've never driven them. I've got no interest in driving them. They obviously, in, yeah. yeah, they obviously come as like a marketing package. And likewise, some of these, it's like, well, you know what? I don't need that many versions of that model. You know, it's like a different trim level or, or whatever it is. But by and large, and especially with the historical content, what's in there is in there as a product of passion by the developers. And it's a interesting and like you say, John, it might handle like shit, but it handles like shit because it's meant to. And the, the interest and the challenge there is driving this pig of a car or, or wrestling it around. And I kind of am really excited at the prospect of more of that, because I think one thing that I've never felt in AC, especially when you include the DLC, is that I've never thought, oh, it's lacking for content. I've never felt it needs more. I can quite easily open that up and drive something new I've never driven or take something out that I know and love, but I've still got a long way to go with it. Um, and I'm excited at the prospect of them basically adding more content. Even if it was, even if there wasn't AC2, even if they would say, right, we're going to start releasing more paid content for AC1, that would have me ready with my wallet. And um, so, you know, I kind of, I've, I guess they've earned my trust over the years and basically, you know, I can make no vouch for whatever they're planning or how it's going to go down or how it's going to work out from a sales perspective or anything else. But they've earned my trust that basically what they release is going to be of decent quality and at the very least going to kind of catch my interest. That's actually really interesting that, you know, um, 
I also feel as well, like, you know, if I was on fully a consumer side, like, I feel like I would already pre-order this. It's like, you know, going on track record. It's like, yeah, you know, that's 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 a certain, um, you know, what just kind of going back because I've, I've, you know, covered a few of these other companies on the business side and stuff like um, you mentioned, like, you don't know how much they've made and stuff in, in the um, in the Digital Brothers um, uh, on in their business reports that they released at the end of September, um, they said that uh, a contribution of uh, 24.6 million euros came from the different editions of AC. So obviously AC and ACC. Um, and that is uh, 24.6 million euros from 92.3. So a massive amount of Digital Brothers um, uh, money, uh, you know, when you consider this is the company that has the uh, control game, which was massive, um, you know, Ghost Ghost Runner, which is massive, you know, uh, um, they, uh, they're a massive company with a lot of these really big franchises, and AC is huge, like that's, that's a huge contribution that they made there and I think that really shows that when you truly deliver um, you know racing games are totally still you know a, a viable way to make some really serious money yeah it's agreed. yeah it's pretty interesting I think the the biggest shame for me with ACC was that it had it was GT3 cars and I'm not really interested in GT3 cars but I think you know that aside it's possibly the best sim, you know, from a physics perspective, from some of the detail, the weather systems that are in there, the live track systems. Like, it's a complete package. It's pretty hard not to yeah. say, like, I think I think their tyre physics are right up there, you know, like possibly even the best. Um, you know, they're competing at the same level as, as iRacing are going. You know, like, I know that iRacing like to pretend they're the only sim in existence, but they're not. So you know, um, I got I've got good hopes for Assetto Corsa two, uh, and yeah, you, like you say, there's it looks like there might be a bit of uh, weight of cash behind it, which um, should give it what it needs. I hope. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting point. Just just to make it quick, is that if they're making them that much money, Digital Brothers five hundred five are gonna be okay with them taking a little bit extra time to get something right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I, I'm really pleased to hear those numbers you said for AC because I think, on the one hand, one thing you can say about AC is that it's not ostensibly the most unique or original of titles in that it's kind of treading the path of the Gran Turismo, the Forzas, and then more recently you've seen other franchises go that way in sort of slightly different extents, but things like Project Cars and then Codemasters have had some, you know, other titles that I can't remember, Grid or whatever it was. He's kind of like got to catch them all type titles. And I think what really sets the set of course apart is just the quality of it. I think that's why I love that title as opposed to any of the others I've just mentioned. It's why it's the title I still play when I do find the time to kind of clear the seat and get myself sat down at the rig. And it's why people are still playing and buying it now. All these years later and so yeah set a course or two bring it on 
Moving swiftly on um, to our final uh, sim on our list, um, I'm going to amusingly pronounce the name of GT Revival, or is it GTR Evival? Um, this is a game from Straight 4, uh, which are, are, are mostly ex-employees of Simply Mad Studios, or um, Blimey Games, or whatever other name they had at some stage through time. Um, headed by Ian Bell, um, uh, also our friend here, Tim Wheatley, works for them, so he's probably not going to say much, or at least he's going to say what is available within the marketing material. Um, this sim, again, we don't know too much about. Um, we know the people involved. Um, we've seen some screenshots of some pretty um, interesting cars, um, particularly GT1 cars from the sort of early 2000s, which are mirroring what we saw in the original GTR and GTR2. Um, they're looking at, I guess, reproducing the wonder of those sims. Uh, I think GTR and GTR2 at the time were certainly um, pretty landmark sims. Um, and those GT1 cars, pretty hairy, are kind of, uh, honestly, probably more interesting than GT3 cars are now. You know, they don't have as much downforce and they add more power. Um, but also there's, we've seen screenshots of Group C cars, for instance, as well. Um, and some other things, I think, uh, I think a couple of Porsches, a BMW or two, that sort of thing. So um, what do you think about this one, Simon? Yeah, um, I mean, so Tim might be able to help me out because I kind of have a point of confusion about this title. But I mean, before, first of all, I'd say that and I'll try and be diplomatic here, but Ian Bell and the previous iterations of what now is straight for, let's be honest and say they've never been ones to be too backwards or to hide their light under a bushel, you know? So they're saying a lot of things um, and I would dearly hope for them to deliver on all the things they're saying, but there's certainly some marketing speak and let's call it hype being put out there, you know, about what they're aiming for, what this is going to be. And I'm not, I think probably 90% of what's been said around the kind of taking out some of the sort of finer detail, you could probably cut and paste from the stages of development of previous three or four titles. So I kind of take some of it with a slight pinch of salt. That said, I am quite excited to see what it becomes. But where, my point of confusion is that when this was originally announced and engagement with audiences and so where I kind of became aware of it first started to occur, it was very much kind of votes around what content we wanted to see. And I kind of got the impression it was aiming for a bit like we're just talking about in terms of AC, really quite a smorgasbord of content. And it does seem to now have shifted to be much more a kind of recreation of GTR1 in terms of content and focus. Um, I might not have seen every screenshot that's come out, but I'm, I'm not quite sure where it's at. I mean, I think it's possible it's... that that's just the result of what those votes came out as. Possibly, but mm. I, I don't know. It seems to have kind of narrowed in focus, which I'm not saying is good or bad. But... Yeah, that might just be the first content that's been worked on as well, of course. So it's very early days, isn't it? Um, mm. the I believe it's protected for release in 2025. Um, I think one of my questions on that front is what's going to separate it from the pack? Um, 
if it's going to release in the same year as a set of Corsa 2, for instance, both of those sims are talk, sounding like doing similar things. You know, here's a bunch of tracks, here's a bunch of cars, off you go. I mean, on uh, probably a point I didn't make about a set of Corsa 2, which I should have done, is that, like, you know, I really hope that there's more innovation to it than that. And I really, I'd, and, and same with GTR Revival, GTR Evival. Um, I. I, I feel that there's been a lack of real um, innovation in Sims for quite a long time, really. Um, and since the sort of um, generation that where we saw R Factor released, um, followed by iRacing, followed by Assetto Corsa One, and then obviously R Factor Two, um, this this um, tendency to release a platform that um, that you then chuck out a bunch of cars, chuck out a bunch of tracks. And sort of focus on the multiplayer aspect of things um, rather than a single player experience I think has has become the common theme um, but what I'm if, if you're thinking of 2025 versus um, you know 2005 to 2012 um, what's new or what can we bring to the table that's new and some of the stuff we've seen with GTR Revival uh, which uh, Austin Ogonski is the game designer I believe um, yeah. he's uh, he put out some stuff where they're utilising AI uh, and I don't know whether this is making it into the sim or not but he put out a couple of videos of utilising AI as your race engineer that you can communicate with when you're in the car, work yeah. on setup changes and things like that, that looked pretty cool also on replays using AI uh, technology to do um, live action uh, commentary on your races for instance um, yeah that was some pretty cool stuff and, and fundamentally for me it's stuff that we've never seen before in a sim and I realise that you know large language model AI is quite new so it's hardly surprising we haven't seen it before um, but it, at least to me I, I like the signs that it shows to suggest that these guys are thinking outside of the box are thinking how can we make something different um, and whether that succeeds or fails is difficult to know but I think it's well, important a- to, to it's important for developers to look at that and angle of things when they've got the freedom to do so anyway, um, because they I guess straightforward and independent now since no longer the project cars got bought, uh, simply mad got bought up by Codemasters and then Codemasters bought by EA and then eventually uh, they've broken out essentially and if they've got the freedom to create something with some vision, um, I you know I'm I'm in full support of that. I think it's. Um, I, you know, I'll see. I'll see what comes out. Obviously, but I think I think it would be unfortunate if we arrive in twenty twenty five and you know all these new sims that we've been talking about. None of them are doing really anything new, other than being a bit more shiny than the the old ones. Yeah, I think. I mean, one of the things I can say on on vision um, is about Austin. I guess. I mean, you'll know full well that he had his blog and stuff when R Factor Two was in early development and stuff like that. And he would um, he he would write uh, kind of criticisms and stuff like that. And uh, he would always have um, actual nuggets of genuine feedback that I feel like a developer would need to hear. Agree. Um, He's very honest. And, yeah, uh, but it was you know it was packaged. He had some in, ideas, right? You know, yeah. it was packaged in his his blog and you know that that was something that made um the actual nugget of info more difficult for people to take in 
Um, and uh, like what I've found over the years, really, because I was in contact with him at ISI and everything as well, is is that um, you know when you actually discuss things with him and and you know kind of go go through actual information, like the actual feedback is is fantastic and um the game design side he's he's i think the only word is prolific really like it's um i would actually put it alongside like um the same way that i i, th I think i've said in the past like i could mention something to terence um you know a, 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 a terence groaning from isi and i would then magically see that thing that i had suggested in the next release notes for you know whatever we were working on um austin's kind of the same way with um you know you can suggest some feature and then he'll completely write out a a, a design for it and multiple different iterations or options um and uh you know i i think the way that he would go through different things with his blog and it would like be this massive information probably too much information um it's actually perfect for something like what he's actually doing now i think um sean the examples you gave and i think i mentioned the uh, the audio on a, on a previous conversation we had it is really refreshing to see something that you think is yeah that's truly an innovation it's not just oh it's a tiny step forward you know it's a slight improvement on the poly count on the curves or it's a you know a bit more resolution in a texture or it's just a more and shinier content it is something novel that could potentially have quite drastic implications for in-game experience depending on exactly how it works certainly kind of on the race engineer side you know the commentaries may be a bit more show and possibly for esports could be you know quite pivotal or something but um i think the so go, going back is a kind of almost making a comparison point between this and a set of Corsa two. So a set of Corsa two, I, as we just said, know very little about, but I know from the previous titles that basically, yeah, I want more of the same, and it's not going to be worse. I think when it comes to this title, apologies, my cat just sat on the spacebar and muted me. Um, I don't know quite where I got off, but basically. What, what remains to be seen with this title for me is what differentiates this from being basically Project Cars 4? What what makes it different from just being more of the same but with... Or GTA 3. Yeah, and the thing is, is that it's not to kind of throw those titles under the bus or say they had no merits, certainly GTR titles at the time. But, you know, that was a long time ago. Project Cars, I think there's the, the trilogy, you know, Ian is... The first to admit that by the end it hadn't it lost its way a bit but i i'm not sure what this title is going to give me and i say that in a kind of not a cynical way i'm kind of quite open-minded but it's not i'm not coming i don't have the same attitude towards this as i do say a new title coming out of kunos just because of what those titles have given me versus what some of the offerings i've just mentioned have from um the former kind of versions of what is now straight four. So I, I'm excited to see what comes. I just can't say that I'm, I wouldn't pre-order this without doubt um, in the same way I would AC2. Though I say that, I, I did actually did quite well financially on the original Project Cars. I stuck a little bit of money in 
and it paid some checks that were vastly more than I put in. So I'll complain there. Yeah, and uh, that's actually really funny because I, um, I think my perspective of uh, WMD, as they called it, was that um, like I think I saw various people saying it was like a scam and stuff like that, and then I've had people like you come along saying, "No, I made money out of it." Um, yeah, I, I didn't. Don't get me so... wrong. I did. I didn't. I didn't invest my life savings, but I. I think I stuck a hundred quid in or something. I kind of thought, well, I'll buy the title, whatever, because certainly at that point in my life. Kind of just bought everything, even if I didn't think it was great. I wanted to support people who were trying to do something, and I thought, you know yeah. what? I, st- I think I stuck a hundred quid in. I think I got something like it's the best part of three hundred quid back I got on that. It was two hundred. It was over two hundred quid I got out of it and the game. So yeah. it's like, well, you know, it it definitely wasn't a scam in that respect. Um, and I think the the WMD thing was interesting because I was quite. I think one of the reasons I bought into it was I was excited at the opportunity to try and shape this thing mm-hmm. you know I I think it's fair to say I can be a little bit curmudgeonly and <laughs> miserable at times just, just a tinge just a tinge <laughs> but I do I do want something you know it's not like everything's crap but I'm not going to offer anything you know I'm quite happy to try and tell people what I would like them to give me yeah I didn't really engage with the process. The it, the forums, there was too much noise on it. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean there was too many people obviously had the same idea and I thought this I is, can't be bothered to make myself heard here. Same it'll on be, forums now, isn't it? It'll be, it'll be what it'll be. And as it turned out, it was a bit, you know, it mixed. It wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. This time around, I mean, there's just been hints, I think, of a sort of WMD-type process so i think um, just the newsletter came out today i think and they're basically saying you know it's not here now but might be in future who knows if to what degree i will get involved or or, or not but i mean what's i i, I guess i I'm, i just want to say stuff for the sake of it i think it remains to be seen what's going to come of this but it, it is nice that we've got titles to talk about and yeah. you know there have been periods you know we quite recently yeah. Well, I've, I've been talking with you guys for what twenty odd, twenty odd years, a little bit more now. There have been periods where we would not have had a list of right. titles to talk about. Yeah, yeah, so true. And we would be just thinking, what is going to be the next thing? Yeah. And just, just like we we're saying about, you know, Ace and the Kunos guys obviously have done quite well, and you know, there they are putting out a new title. Well, you know. Ian's at the helm once again, putting out another title. You know, no one can right. say he's been shot on ambition. And even if it might not be my dream title, he's delivered consistently. He has put titles out there and he has found ways to make more. And I think he actually said in an interview with you that it sort of stepped away from this a bit, but then kind of got sucked back in. Maybe I'm mis- misrepresenting his words there, but. Yeah, I think he was bored. Part <laughs> of the thing, though, is it, I think, you know, he obviously has a huge amount of passion for this. And he still has a scratch to itch. And I can only hope that this title, you know, scratches his itch and it, it scratches mine as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was obviously pretty involved with, um, you know, GTR, um, the first title, because obviously Racing Central, like we, we literally hosted his forums. I think if you still install a, a GTR from Steam, it still has a link to the old Racing Central forum, which doesn't exist anymore. The, in the uh, start menu 
you know, we were really, really involved. We did like Q and A's and interviews and I, I went to spa and, you know, I, I still have, you know, pictures of the, the, um, the, uh, Viper that they had to take the, the front bonnet or the, or the hood, if you're in the States <clears throat> off, uh, to put on the real race car because it, it, you know, it got damaged or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it kind of, I, I was really involved there and then, um, I went to work for iRacing, um, from 2005. Um, so I was working at iRacing when he did GTR two and, you know, GT legends and, and, and stuff. And then worked for ISI, worked for studio 397 and, um, you know, in the background, it's like, you know, he, they have put out some amazing products and what I found really interesting after I joined the company is just how many people uh, are in the company that I knew from before 2005 like um, you know the the the, the um, head of art um, I I have his uh, Grand Prix 3 mods you know from 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 uh, uh, Jeff Crammond like he was making F, F1 car mods for you know the the uh, Jeff Crammond games in the 90s and stuff like that and there's, there's, there's so many people within the studio that are so ingrained just as much as I feel like I am and we and we are in the sim racing community and you know when I look back at what um, the studios that Ian's actually been involved with have actually put out it, you know it's that it, it's actually pretty impressive um, you know and and the fact that um, that he managed to obviously make a crap load of money out of uh, Codemasters and then EA is obviously, um, you know, good job him. Um, could come in very yeah. handy for all of us if GTR Revival turns out into being a great game. Right, exactly. So, I mean, they, the the thing there with the financing, you know, right right now is, you know, th there's a publishing deal that's been announced with uh, PlayOn um, and uh, everything else is Ian. So yeah, it's um, it's it, it's really cool that he is basically, you know, in in a way, if you think about it, he's making EA and Codemasters pay for this title right now, which is, you know, I think he would think that there's some justice in that. Anyway. Okay, well, I think it's probably time to pinch it off. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Classy finish. Yeah, I thought so. Um... <laughs> It's been a fun year. <laughs> so um, I think, I guess, uh, as and when some of these Sims come out, I guess the next one on the line, hopefully, is uh, Le Mans Ultimate. We'll probably do some uh, chatting about them when we've got yeah. our hands on them. Um, hopefully it works out. Uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, hopefully they all do. Yeah. Hopefully they all do, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah it's... Um... Except, except the EAWIC, that's just shit. It's not gonna work out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, that, that one can go in the bin. Um, okay. <laughs> right. Must be well, pinched off, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, right. Well, all there is to do is wish everybody a happy Christmas and a merry New Year. So, um, go on then, guys. Merry Christmas. Uh, merry happy Christmas, New Year. everybody. Yeah. Merry Christmas. See you in 2024.